This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, LSPod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot very much for agreeing to appear on this here podcast. No, of course. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I mean, we'll start with the, you know, the conversation that we've been having a lot recently before we get to the football stuff is, I hope you and your family are all doing okay. Yeah, not too bad. Um, obviously, my family's back in Australia, um, so it's just me over here, but they're doing well. Um, the, to be fair, the corona's not been too bad in Australia, so they're out of lockdown and I'm not doing too bad, a bit, a little bit bored. Um, they'll be the sameness of every day, but, but I'm healthy and there's people a lot worse off than me, so I can't really complain. No, absolutely not. I mean, Glenn Franklin asked, how are you finding being away from everybody at the moment? I mean, do you do you share a place in Swindon or are you, are you solo? I'm by myself um, at the minute. Uh, so it's it, yeah, it has been tough. Um, I've been FaceTiming people, FaceTiming a few of the boys family and friends which has been which has been nice and people have been checking up on me which obviously i really appreciate but it, it is hard at times like this being being so far away from like my immediate family and my closest friends yeah i can imagine who are your who are your boys at, at the club um i probably get closest with uh twiny um and zeki as well i go on quite well with nice okay but, yeah we're 
we we all have quite a good relationship with each other so there's been a few boys that have texted me to ask how I'm doing yeah that's the running theme with this squad isn't it that you all get on swimmingly which is good Uh, Reserve Rain asks what have you been doing in quarantine to keep yourself entertained to be fair at the start I was playing quite a a bit of Playstation um, just because kind of there wasn't really that much to do but it's got to the stage where I've I've played so much of that that I'm kind of over that too so I've been trying to trying to keep some sort of routine um, going for runs keeping my fitness at at a decent level Um, and then kind of just relaxing and and making the most of kind of having a bit of time off yeah absolutely i need to know what's on what's what you what you're watching on netflix disney prime or whatever you use um i've i watched the uh the last dance michael jordan documentary i've been hooked on that the last month or so i'm waiting every every monday morning for it to come out so that's really good if people haven't watched that they should definitely give that a watch We've, we've talked about this because, you know, Wellens has watched it. A couple of others have been watching it as well. I think, actually, Richie Wellens was waiting for it to finish, so he's probably watched it over the last 24 hours or so. But what what amazes me is just how much of an impact it's had. And a lot of people who don't really watch basketball, I watch a little bit. I, I'm more of a results looker-upper as opposed to watching the live games. I've seen a couple of NBA games in my time live, and it's brilliant. Anyone mm. that goes to the USA, go to an NBA game because they are amazing live. But just the impact it's had and everybody's just got so into it, haven't they? Massively. I think I, every every time an episode comes out, Jordan's pretty much the number one thing training on Twitter. Um, and then my parents, who don't really have any real interest in basketball, they I both told them both to watch it and they've, they've both really enjoyed it. So, yeah, it's been huge, the impact of it. But I think a lot of people obviously know about Michael Jordan and his accomplishments, but... I think the fact that it's now been broadcasted to people that are kind of my age and and younger, like I think people are really realising how big of an athlete and superstar he was. Yeah, when I was younger, I was a big Scotty Pippen fan, and I think my intro um, to basketball was Home Alone in that scene where Kevin McAllister's doing the fake party and there's a cardboard cutout of Michael Jordan going around yeah. I think that, that was my introduction back in 1990 or whatever of basketball but you know I'm not you know ashamed of that no not at all Home Alone is a great movie <laughs> yes it is okay so I mean my standard question is there but I think Jack Tanner's asking it for for me when he says good day Cobber what do you barrack for in the footy, which I think, with a Google search, is who do you support? Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if he's talking about football or if he's talking about AFL in Australia. So, Because um, obviously AFL is the national Australian sport. I'm not sure if you've ever watched the game. It's a little bit brutal. Um, but I'd, I support Collingwood if anyone's interested in AFL. And then for football, to be fair, I don't, I don't really support a team, I think. Being, I, I supported Manchester United when I was younger because uh, my uncle used to work for them. Um, but I think now I'm kind of in the professional football industry. Um, I kind of have lost touch with that kind of supporting of a team, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it's from those who I've spoke to over the last couple of years, it's been a dead split. Some still very much support the team they supported when they were young. And some are like, this, this, is, this is the industry I'm in. So mm. you kind of fall out of love with that because you're so focused on your day-to-day yeah Collingwood was the one that we were looking for well it was the one that another listener Martin Peters was asking because uh, he says Collingwood is the only correct answer I work Hmm. for an Australian company and they do like fantasy football uh, for the AFL 
and I have to predict the scores every week when it's on. But I gotta be honest, I know nothing of it other than, you know, looking up the form and going with it. But it, it can go either way, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be fair, the, the good thing about the competition generally is that they have a salary cap, so it's it's usually fairly even most of the games. Obviously, there's always teams that build their teams better, uh, similar to the NBA in that aspect. But um, no, it's, it's it's an interesting sport for sure. If people haven't watched it, I recommend looking up AFL highlights, and you'll be you'll be blown away by the physicality of it because they're absolute beasts. The guys that play it. <laughs> so we know that you were. In your youth, a Manchester United fan, but who were your football heroes when you were growing up? Um, probably, probably have to be Paul Scholes. Um, kind of tried to like base my game on him when I was younger, um, and obviously he's such a big player for Manchester United, so probably have to be he'd probably be the main one. Um, then Wayne Rooney as well when he because that was the that was probably the age when I really got into football when I was about six or seven, um, and obviously he was bursting onto the scene with Manchester United. And, just doing all sorts of things that you dream of doing when you're a kid. So he'd, he'd definitely be one of them as well. You are born in Glasgow. Is that of a Glaswegian family? Yeah, so my dad's uh, my dad's from Glasgow. Yeah. Um, my mum's from uh, Wales. So, um, but yeah, dad's um, dad from Glasgow. So I was born there. He grew up there, moved down to London, met my mum. And then they moved back up to Glasgow for a couple of years when I was born. So yeah, I've, I've I've always even though I've, I've only lived there for a couple of years, I still I still consider myself Scottish. I think that's partly thanks to my dad. Um, he's he's quite patriotic and passionate about it. But um, yeah, I'd still say if people ask me what my nationality is, I I would say I'm Scottish over anything else. Yeah, that that was going to be one of my questions. If if you get a phone call from Scotland or Australia on the same day saying is it Scotland? Yeah, it would have to be. I think I think to be honest, I'd take whoever I get. But um, <laughs> if I had the option, I'd, I'd I'd have to go for Scotland. I don't think my dad would ever let me back in the house if I could do anything else. I'm, I'm telling you, a Scottish father, a Welsh mother living in Australia, man, there's a lot of anti England in that. Yeah, massively. Anyone about England, whatever spawned. <laughs> When I when I sort of talk to people that I know who, over the years who have, are from Australia, they always when it comes to sport they and football particular they're talking about like Manchester United, your Paul Scholes, your Italian clubs because of where a lot of Australians come from. You've got that sort of Bosnian sort of um, re- Serb uh-huh. and Greek and things like that, but they're never ever talking about Australian. Soccer players and the and and the soccerers and things like that. Is that something that's something that I've made up? Was it a stereotype, or are you guys passionate about your national team and your and your homegrown players as well? No, I think I think you have hit the nail on the head there because obviously um, in Australia, I'd say football's probably the fourth sport behind AFL, cricket, and then rugby. Um, in Melbourne, where where I live and where my family live, I'd say football's probably ahead of rugby but it's still very much the third sport um behind AFL and cricket so I think there is like obviously when the when when the Australian football team's doing well everyone gets behind it but there is there is a lot of um nationalism and patriotism from um from the European like communities obviously because they kind of moved over um it was it was around about the 60s and 70s when a lot of them migrated to Australia so and they obviously started their own football club, started their own community. So there is a little bit of um, not competition between them and the the, the people with, a, with more Australian backgrounds, but it's definitely um, definitely a little bit segregated in terms of kind of what what background you're from, what clubs you support, what uh, 
like the areas you live. So I think it's gone a lot, a lot more relaxed now. But uh, back in back in the nineties, there was a there was quite a lot of competition between the different the different countries based on kind of what 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 clubs like the uh, they originated from. If you if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So your dad's Glaswegian. Which club does he uh, does he support? Celtic, yeah, <laughs> got to be Celtic. Um, I remember he told me actually one time his, uh, his his best friend was a massive Celtic fan. He he was more into rugby himself, my dad, but his best friend was a massive Celtic fan. And um, when he had his when when my when my dad's friend had his first baby, my mum bought um, bought the baby a, a, a blue um, jumpsuit. And apparently, this uh, this friend of his, Gordon, was absolutely outraged because she because he he just couldn't bear the thought of. His son being in anything to do with Rangers, anything blue, he wasn't having it at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm soft on Scotland because my stepdad is from Edinburgh, so um, it's a country I love very, very much. I, I mean, I've, I've got a really good friend who's a Londoner, born and raised, and they have a London accent. But when they're at home with their family, they speak Scottish. Is that the same for you? Yeah, I, I, not not for me so much. I don't think, but my dad, especially when he um when he meets people. Because there's there, there, there's a lot of Scottish people around Australia. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't really blame them to be fair. Um, but <laughs> um, no, nah, when when he meets Scottish people, you can you can hear the longer he speaks, and the more his accent comes out. Um, so yeah, definitely, I think that's definitely a thing. Scottish people all kind of bringing out their accents when they get together. Yeah, I can relate because you know my mum's from Wiltshire, but every time she goes up to Edinburgh, she gets a Scottish twang, and she's got not one ounce of Scottish in her yeah. heritage. It's very, very hard. It's but quite easy. It, it's an infectious language. Okay, let's talk football then. So, is Melbourne the city where you're raised? Um, well, I I grew up in uh, Reading until I was eleven, um, and I was at I was at Reading Academy for a couple of years, um, and then we moved to Singapore. Uh, for dad's for my dad's work, uh, so I was there for eighteen months. Played football just kind of casually over there, um, and then we moved to Melbourne after that. So when I was in Melbourne, I kind of was just playing for a local club. Uh, got picked up by the equivalent of like the county team, the, yeah. the state team, it's called over there. Um, and then from there, just kind of progressed like through the ranks. Ended up signing um, professional at Melbourne Victory, which was kind of like. Um, the club that like, supported and like I wanted, I really wanted to play for when I was when I when I first moved there. So that was kind of a dream for me to play for. Essentially, what was my boyhood club? Yeah. Um, and then yeah, played there for for a year and a half, couple of years, um, and then moved over here. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get away with it that easily. I tell you that now. <laughs> so you know what? How? When did it begin to become apparent that you stood out amongst? <laughs> A group of junior football players. It was probably when I was when I was about twelve or thirteen, um, just playing for my for my local team. And I actually remember when we first moved to Australia, um, I started playing for for my. I, I went along to some trials for the for the local team, which was Berlin Lions FC. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was the, it, the the weekend we arrived. It was the trials for the C and D team. Obviously, the graded teams A, B, C, D. Um, and I was doing one of the drills and I remember the coach kind of went over to all the parents and like shouted out like whose son is this basically pointing at me and my dad kind of popped up and was like yeah that's that's our son and the guy goes where the hell was he last weekend at the, at the A-team trials and my dad went well we only arrived here two days ago so <laughs> it's not really our fault um, and I remember kind of then yeah, I, 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 I never really thought I was kind of any better than anyone else that I was playing with but um, 
it's probably once I got picked up for the state teams that I realised that I, I might be quite good at this. And given that you've been back in the UK for a year or so now, what do you think, what's the standard of the coaching at that level in Australia? Is it generally pretty good? Um, does it need to improve? Because when I was younger, when I remember looking up Australian footballers, because I'm that sort of football fan, unfortunately, oh. it's, it's, my, it's my burden. Um, it was always institutes. It was either the big institute of sport or it was the state institutes, wasn't it? Is that is yeah. that still the case now? Or is it now going into a more European structure of having club academies instead? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was growing up, there was uh, still the institutes. So... Um, I was essentially in the Victorian Institute of Sport, but it was uh, it was changing as I came through the ranks. So rather than being at the Institute till you were 18, um, you were leaving at 15 and 16, going and signing you like just for the essentially like the the youth team or the 23s of the of the A League club. Mm-hmm. But now it's it's very much become. Uh, I think they're picking up the, the clubs are picking up kids at 11 and 12 now, rather than kind of having a, a institutes as such. It's it's more academy based, similar to over here. Yeah, and and the coaching standard. Would you say it's 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 progressing well down there? Yeah, definitely. I think at the top level, there's some really good coaches. I think at grassroots level, um, probably similar to SBF. Obviously, I didn't I didn't really grow up here that much, but there, there's definitely some work that can be done. But I mean, all my coaches throughout the the youth levels in Australia were really really great, and I definitely would put them up. They were some of the best coaches I've had um, during my career. So. Sure. So Melbourne Victory is the club that you sort of followed when you when you moved when you were down there, and you get in. And I'm always sort of weary of this because it sounds like you had a good experience, but to go into a team that you like from the outside and then go in, it can be quite daunting, especially if it doesn't go well. What were your early experiences of being within the Victory setup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, when I signed with the youth team, uh, there was kind of there was a under 20s team and then there was the kind of reserves and it took me I, I was in the under 20s team it took me like two years for to make the jump from the under 20s team to the reserves which is something that like, I found very frustrating especially when boys my age were playing the reserves team and I was still in the under 20s with boys that were younger than me but um, looking back on it, it kind of set me in really good stead in terms of my ability to become more of a leader and um, kind of take a bit more responsibility on and I remember actually i played under 20s I played two games in the reserves and then went straight into the first team um so it was kind of a really quick jump from the lowest level of the academy to to being in with the first team full-time yeah so are we talking about the MPL with the under 23s is that the reserves is that right yeah so the so the reserves playing the MPL league which is the second tier of Australian football but unfortunately as of yet there's not relegation and promotion from the top tier which I think it's something that until that happens Australian football will always be a little bit behind everywhere else in the world um, and then then you have NPR under 20s which is what I was playing up until I went into the reserves yeah that's really interesting because it's something that a lot of people in the United States also push as well um, and in the USA it's it, the argument is you're not going to get these billionaire owners fund a team if they're not in the elite league what's the reason in Australia it's just the in terms of why they want it or why it's not possible at the minute yeah why why it's not possible i think it's just the lack of money because obviously that australia is such a vast country i mean every single away game that we have when i was with victory involved a plane journey involved two nights in a hotel involved all the all the 
costs associated with traveling from hotels to airports and back. Um, so I think it's just it's just so expensive to run a football team over there that there's probably not enough money to fund a, a second tier as well as a top tier because there's still clubs in the top tier that, that struggle and need help from uh, the federation to get by, really. Yeah, and from what I can see about the NPL, it's very, very regional, isn't it? Yeah, um, so it's... Uh, you. you Basically, there's there's MPL Victoria, MPL New South Wales, MPL Queensland, and so on for all the other states. Um, and to to be fair, MPL Victoria is probably the strongest, um, along with the Sydney Sydney one as well is quite strong. And then I think the winners of each each uh, kind of iteration of it um, have a have a tournament at the end to see who's crowned overall MPL champion. But yeah, it's very much each league is kind of separate to the other ones. Yeah, I did. I did see when I was doing a little bit of research for this that you know teams can finish third but win the title, yeah. which you know it doesn't sit well with me. If I'm no, honest. I agree. I agree. Um, that's the same in the it's the same in the A League as well. So because it's it's kind of the Australian way to have final series um, and playoffs, they they just love their their one off elimination games. So um, the year actually that we won the title with our uh, with victory, we we finished fourth or fifth i think and still won we, we won the grand final uh, against the team that finished first which obviously we weren't complaining about but i'm sure there are a few few players on their team a few fans of their team that probably wouldn't have been overjoyed with the fact that we finished about 20 points behind them in the regular season and then won one in the finals yeah looking through the the form that the the reserve team have around the time that you're around there very early on you guys get promoted, but after that you get relegated and sort of stay in in that level. My question really is, for that, for the victory, what is the primary focus for, for a young side in the regional leagues? Is it about winning or is it about development? No, it's about development. So the first year we got promoted, I was very much on the fringes of that team, still playing under the 20s. Um, and then uh, we got promoted and a lot of the, a lot of the boys... Because there's not much money in the in the academies over there, so we were on pennies really. A lot of the boys kind of got their heads, older boys got their heads turned by other clubs in the in the top division, offering them five six times of what they were on, and obviously taking it, thinking especially if they if they don't realistically think they have opportunities to get into the first team, kind of makes sense to 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 move on. Um, so I remember my first game got thrown in um, against Hume City, it was, and we got beat five nil. Um, that, was, that was my that was my debut for the kind of reserve team, and then the week after that we played against uh, Bentley Greens, who have basically been the best team for about the past ten years. Um, have won about five or six titles, and I remember we absolutely battered them and got done two one in the ninety fifth minute. But I think that was kind of uh, for the for a lot of the boys that I came through with, that was kind of the realization that actually we are we are good enough to compete at this level. And I remember I think we got we got a points deduction as well for something. So I think we actually if you take away the points deduction, we didn't do too badly in the end. But I think, obviously, it was about development, but it, it, it is important, I think, with young players to instill a winning, winning culture and uh, a mentality that you can. it doesn't really matter if you play well, if you're not getting results. Obviously, it's nice to have good performances and it's about making them better players. But at the end of the day, if you're not winning football games, then you're probably not going to go very far in, um, in, in football in the long term. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think 
it's my main concern if they were to ever bring development sides into the Football League, which is one of the biggest fears for a lot of fans. I'm not hugely bothered by it, but the thing that concerns me the most is if there's a crucial game and if, say, Manchester United under-23s are playing in League 2 and it's all about development for them and they have a crucial game right at the end where Swindon need them to, to beat a rival but they're just not putting in you know the not the effort but it it just doesn't have the same sort of impact and the same importance as it does for the rest it just doesn't work for me in that sense yeah no i i agree with that and obviously from the fans point of view you can see that with uh with the check trade or the leasing the leasing.com trophy i mean it's just it's so much less appeal in it um for the fans point of view um than than obviously the league and the other domestic cups yeah so at what point then were you starting to work more with the Victory First team? Um, so it was it was when I was I think eighteen. Mm-hmm. I think I just I just turned eighteen. Um, so my first year out of school, um, and I try I trained with them a few times before that, um, kind of just when they needed an extra number. Um, but then I think I I went full time with them about halfway through the season when I was eighteen. Um, so I think it would have been the 20, 2016 season, 2016-17 season. And um, I trained with them for a couple of months. And I was kind of training with them, playing with the reserves. Um, and then I ended up making my debut um, against Brisbane Roar Away because they have this thing in Australia where if you don't have – so they, 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 did, they didn't have international breaks. They've only brought them in the last year or so because mm-hmm. obviously there's, there's not loads of players that play internationally. But – being at Mon Victory, which is kind of the biggest club, there were quite a few players that played for international teams. Um, so they made it if you had less than five international players, you, like, the game wasn't rescheduled. I think we had four. Um, and I remember making my debut. I came on with 20 minutes left against Brisbane Raw. Um, and that was obviously a really proud moment for me because it's kind of what I've been dreaming of since I was young to, to play professionally, make my debut for a professional club. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, when I and then after that I was basically with the first team full time up until when I left. And Kevin Muscat is your manager throughout that time, isn't he? And this is this is yeah. somebody who, you know, people my age know all about because he was in yeah. the United Kingdom for a long time, Crystal Palace, Wolves, Rangers and Millwall, um, played for Australia just before the World Cup qualification mm-hmm. years, which, you know, is one of those disappointing things for those players. What what was it like working under Kevin Muscat? Yeah, to be fair, obviously a lot of people know him over here as the really scary kind of intimidating guy, and he yep. definitely did have that side to him, without a doubt. But um, to be fair, he was he was a lot more calm and placid after he finished playing. Um, so he was he was he was um, kind of like he was he was easy to work with in terms of the fact that he did he did try and give time to the younger players, um, which is something that obviously we appreciated. Um, and yeah. He, he was definitely a lot different when he was coaching Tony in his playing, which is something I'm quite thankful for. Yeah, and what what makes him? Because he was he was with he was manager of the victory for six years. So mm. what you know, it's not easy maintaining jobs. I mean, I keep an eye on the A League, and they do some clubs go through managers yeah. quite frequently. I mean, I know he was a very popular player for them as well. But what was the secret to his success? I think it was just he was very meticulous in his preparation. We used to have. We used to have video meetings before every single training session um, for about 20 minutes and we'd just go through 
it would obviously vary what day um would either be based on the opposition or would go through what we were going to do when we got out there so kind of got got everyone in the, in the mindset of what we were going to be doing that day um yeah i think it, like it just really left tried, tried to leave nothing to chance in terms of his preparation and the way he went about things was like set an example for the, for the players really hmm. So that debut, as you said, against Brisbane Raw, victory, I think, finished second that year. It's a really, really good season. But how difficult is it to sort of, and this this sort of applies to Swindon as well, which we'll talk about later, but you're there, you're in the squad, you're in the mix, there are players ahead of you. How hard is it to try and sort of overtake and get the attentions of the management? Yeah, massively, massively. So, I mean, so I obviously made, I made my debut that season. Um, and then the following season, I think that was that the year we won. I, I can't remember, but um, I was I was with the, the, the year we won the title. I was um, I was with the first team full time. I got offered a, a professional contract um, and I was doing well in preseason. Um, and then I think about five or six weeks into preseason, because it's a twelve-week preseason over there, which is a bit mad. But I think five or six weeks into preseason, I started getting really sick, um, like repeatedly, just kind of having the flu for a week, and then coming back in training, going run down and having the flu again. And I had like extremely bad tonsillitis to the point where I had to be hospitalised like three or four times. Yeah. Um, so I ended up having to get my tonsils taken out in a, in about October or November, which is just when the season was kind of kicking off. And then after that, I like basically struggled to get back anywhere in close, close to being in the team because I was I was starting some of the preseason games doing really well, and then obviously because I missed so long, I just like found it hard to get back into the back into the coaches' kind of plans. Um, and then I played a, I played a few games. I was in the squad a couple of times, but I think that kind of really killed me missing so, so such a large chunk of time with with illness. What's the long-term impact on you mentally for that sort of, such a bizarre, respectively, like, Mm. way to be out of action and then to try and get back from it and then the realisation that, you know, it's it's not going your way. How long does that take you to sort of conquer? Yeah, it took me a while. Um, I remember when I I got released by by Victory, Um, I, I, I did see it coming, obviously, because I hadn't played and... I was I was I was kind of, I was angry at the time because I thought that I didn't really get given a fair go, um, which is something that kind of didn't sit well with me. Um, and there were there were times when I, I was speaking to a few other AOE clubs and obviously speaking to a few clubs over in England, but there were definitely times when I considered kind of just like giving up on football um, and just playing because I had I had obviously concrete offers from the MPL. Um, on decent money where I could have gone there, gone back to university, um, kind of just just put football in the back background a little bit. But um, no, it was it was really hard um, for me to kind of overcome, especially because with uh, with with kind of knee injuries or muscle injuries, you have other people at the club who've experienced stuff like that. But for me to kind of just get tonsillitis, like it sounds like such a simple thing, but it was it was really tough. Obviously, when I got my tonsils out, I had to have six weeks off, basically doing nothing. So I lost all my fitness. Um, and then when I came back, it was it was weird because I was rehabbing from an injury that wasn't really an injury, if you know what I mean. So. Yeah, yeah, it is one of those things that if if a football fan is seen like oh Cameron McGilp's out with tonsillitis, yeah. a lot of fans would just go man up cupcake wouldn't yeah. they it, it, yeah. I mean res- again respectively but yeah, you know no, what football I, fans are like I mean, yeah 
yeah no definitely um and obviously there were there were times when i tried to push through it um a lot i think the first i think i had it five times before i ended up getting my tonsils out but i was getting to the stage where i like couldn't breathe and i was walking and stuff like that like during training not even <laughs> like i was doing the warm-up and i was about to pass out like yeah. so i just couldn't get any oxygen to my lungs so yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a fun time but i think obviously it's it helps build character in, in a funny sort of way and now there's there's uh, not many things that could probably be worse than that to be honest with you yeah sure i mean let's go into a positive thing and i know it was only like five or ten minutes but you also play in the asian champions league mm. you play against shanghai and christopher asks what's it like playing against and i'm going to pronounce it brazilian way a uh, hulky um hulk to everybody else what was it like just being able to participate after everything you've been through yeah, well, it wasn't a half bad player, to be fair. I mean, he <laughs> ran it, ran it ragged for most of the game. We had about three people on him, and I remember I went into not even a fifty. Like he had the ball, and I just went. I don't know why I thought it was a good idea, but I thought I'll just try and body him off it, and he just kind of swatted me off like a fly. Um, but no, um, obviously that was that was a good experience. It was kind of a bit of reward for just kind of sticking at it through the whole year. Um, and I, even though I was very disappointed that I didn't get more opportunities with victory. Um, because I thought I definitely could have played there um, for longer than I did. But it, it was nice to obviously get back in the team in some respect. And the boys were really good with me and the coaches were really good with me. I never felt like I was kind of not not part of the squad. Um, and I, I still boys that I've played with there that I'm very close with and speak to most weeks. So. Yeah, do you think that game was sort of a way of like acknowledging what you'd been through? Or do you think it was like this is... Uh, your last opportunity to to impress what do you think was the purpose behind that no i don't i don't think there's anything to do with impressing i think the decision probably made a couple months prior um that i wasn't going to get kept on um which obviously as i said i was disappointed about but i did understand obviously if if you've not played and you've not really been available then that you can't really get another year out of kind of not sympathy but do you know what i mean yeah. um so i think it was more a kind of like, an opportunity that i'd earned and I came on obviously I think I can't even remember the score but um I think we won actually yeah, yeah. um yeah so that was that was nice to be part of that yeah absolutely. just for a short period yeah of course okay so you've already mentioned there you were released in 2018 but you've also implied that you, you there was interest from clubs in Europe at that stage are they are they how how prominent are scouts in, in Australia? Because, of course, because of the communities, as you've already talked about, mm. you, you have a British passport, so there's no sort of major issues, I imagine. So are they are they prominent in Australia? Um, I think it's more, it more goes if, uh, obviously, there's a lot of European or pe- people that played in Europe that are out in Australia coaching or, or kind of being working as agents, working within the game. So I think a lot of it goes off uh, word of mouth and then, players get given the opportunity to come over and trial um, in Europe. I don't think there's many scouts out there kind of cherry-picking uh, players as such, except for maybe boys that are involved with the national team. Um, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for kind of, if you are doing well, to come over to, to Europe, trial, and then, to be fair, quite a lot of boys do get picked up at, at a young age, 17, 18, to go to clubs in Europe. Well, that's really fired up the home crowd now, and Swindon buzzing here. And because again, rather uncertain with that cross, and the shot almost comes to Mitchell. It's another goal. Incredible. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast. 
proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. So what was your journey to Birmingham City then? Was it the only club that was looking at you? Was it an invitation for trial? What was going on? Uh, no, so there was a couple of other clubs that I was speaking to, um, but Birmingham were the first one that I came over to. So I kind of came over and just thought, like, oh, I, I've always wanted to kind of come back and play in England. So I thought, um, I'll just come over and give it a go. Worst case scenario, they say no, and then I go back and either find go to another A-week club in Australia or kind of go back um, into the NPL. Um, and my agent at the time... Um, knew uh, Nick Montgomery quite well who uh, used to play for Sheffield Sheffield United um, and he knew Paul Robinson uh, the ex-Birmingham and West Brom player who was the 23s coach at at Birmingham so he kind of said like I know of this kid like you should take a look at him Um, so I came over um, trialled for a a week initially um, and they wanted to keep me on for another two weeks so I ended up having a three week trial and then at the end of that they they basically said we want to offer you a year's deal here so um, I was buzzing with that jumps the opportunity and then yeah that that was that in terms of how I managed to get here and when you sign are you very much a development player or are you going straight in to the senior sort of set up to train and so forth with Gary Monk I mean Birmingham have this really good reputation um for bringing through I mean one of the most exciting players prospects is coming through at the moment at mm-hmm. Birmingham is going to cost someone a lot of money in Jude Bellingham so yeah what was what was your objective during that time at Birmingham um well I, well, I went in with the 23s initially um kind of did most of pre-season with them started playing with them um and then I was I was in and around the first team training with them maybe with like once once or twice every couple of weeks um depending on what positions they needed um which was obviously like a great, great opportunity because the standard was unlike anything I'd ever played at before. You got players that have played at the highest level, um, and I played a, I played, a, I think I played a friendly game for them uh, in the international break against Mansfield, and I did really well. And Gary Monk was really happy with me. Um, so I think that was I think in November or December. Um, and I was in with the first team a little bit more, but still playing, playing with the twenty threes. Um, but yeah, to be fair, they, they, there was a few of us that were in and around the first team, and there's there's a couple of boys that I've now kicked on. Obviously, Jude, as you mentioned, who's going to be who's already an exceptional player, and I think he'll be one of the best um, in the future. But there, there were a few boys like that that have managed to kick on this year and get get themselves ready into the first team. Yeah, I can only think of one Swindon link within all this, and that's Lukas Jukovic, who started at Swindon. Yeah, yeah, no, Juki's a great guy as well. Um, <laughs> The Birmingham guys are really nice. All the first teamers, whenever you went in with them, they were they were kind of real accepting and and ex- like ex- obviously ex- had high standards of you. But if you did well, then they would, then they pointed it out and let you know. So you were a victim of the change of manager at this point, or what? What sort of ended? What ended the Birmingham spell? No, so um, I was in the January transfer window, and I was I was kind of looking to go out on loan to a first team club, um, either League Two or Conference, and. I remember it was on deadline day, actually. Um, Paul Robinson came and found me and said he'd just got a call from Paul Jewell because he'd been to watch some of our matches and said um, they were interested in taking me on loan. Um, and then I spoke, my agent ended up speaking to Swindon. Um, and then I think it was about 2 or 3 p.m. on deadline day. I'd train with Bermi in the morning and he said, um, Swindon want to take you uh, permanently because I was, I was only on a one-year deal 
and Birmingham's had said they wanted to keep me, but also under the because they signed me under a transfer embargo, I wasn't allowed to play first team for the following season. Uh. So Birmingham were kind of quite accepting of the fact that I wanted to go out and try and play first team somewhere. So um, I think they agreed something in the contract, but they they ended up letting me go for free, which was which was really good of them, um, even though I had six months after my deal. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of all went from one day thinking I was going to be at Birmingham for the rest of the season to being in Swindon the next. It did seem like one of those out-of-nowhere signings, as far mm. as Swindon was concerned, like Taylor Curran as well, when uh, when suddenly we've just got the, the... It was almost as if they had this sort of mini-push for future players. Um, Paul Jewell scouted you. What was your first impressions of Richie Wellens? No, I think... Um, he, to be fair to him, he, he didn't know a whole lot about me, and I didn't know a whole lot about him. But um, <laughs> I remember the first day we trained. It was actually it was when we had the really bad snow, um, so we trained up at the up at the dome in um, Supermarine. Yeah. Um, I remember doing quite well in my first training session, and he, I think he said to me like, basically, well done, like keep doing what I'm doing. But I think he was kind of surprised that that I was as close to the level of first team as I was because I, yeah, as I said, I think I was. I, I wasn't. I probably didn't know too much about me before I turned up. But yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was a really, really good experience. My first couple of weeks. Um, and he, he was really good with me. To be, to be fair. Yeah, that that must be really daunting for a player when you when you find out because Swindon don't really have a development side, so mm. it's all or nothing really. And then you find out that the manager knows absolutely nothing or very little about you, and now you've got to try and impress that. Although it sounds like you had a great time in that early stage. That must be intimidating. And again, it's one of those things in football where if you can sort of conquer that hurdle, you're never going to make it. No, absolutely. I think football is so much, football is so much mental. I, my my youth team coach in in Australia, the, who I was really close with, uh, he he's very much a belief that football is 100% mental because you can be the best player with the ball at your feet, but if you're if you're not mentally there and you're not mentally strong and switched on, then then you're never going to make it anywhere really. Yeah. Well, that the first season. You, you're playing in development games and things like that. I think Wellens has pretty much got his close-knit sort of group of players at that stage at the tail end of the season. And you make your debut on the final day. You get about 20-odd minutes, which is really cool. And Swindon are 1-1 when you come on. So you get to uh, participate in, in Swindon relegating Notts County, yeah. unfortunately for them. But given the fact that, I mean, the Swindon fan turnout wasn't great that day, but the Notts County one was really, really yeah. good. What are your memories of, of, of playing in that game? Well, um, I remember, obviously, when I first signed, um, the first two, three weeks, I was I was in and around the squad. I think I was in the preliminary squad the first three games, um, and I was kind of left out as the, as the 19th man. And then I had surgery on my... I, I did the ligaments in my ankle. I had surgery on that, so... I wasn't sure if I'd even make it back in time for the end of the season. Um, and I remember working really hard with the physio and the and the sports science guys to try and get back um, for the last one or two games of the season. And um, to be fair, the manager was really keen for me to try and get back. And once I think I trained for two weeks and he said that he liked what he saw and he gave, gave, gave me an opportunity on that last day, which even though obviously this game didn't mean anything for us, I think the fact that he brought me on at 1-1 kind of gave me a lot of confidence that he that he trusted me to come on and do a job and do well. Um, and I remember, I think we were, was it, I can't really remember the score at half time, but Notts County were in it. And I think Macclesfield had conceded. Yeah. And I remember the roar when, um, when 
kind of the, the Notts County players were, were going off at halftime from the Notts County fans. So to, to bring that many numbers along for, for that kind of game, I thought was really showed them in a, in a fantastic light. Yeah, gallows humour from, you know, we like we always turn up for the bad events. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they, it was nil-nil at halftime, but you're quite right. There was something that was going right for them and then it went right for them at Swindon as well because they took the lead yeah. and yeah. then it was just it was kind of like that game was kind of weird as, as a fan because I got no beef with Notts County and it was quite no. sad watching that sort of hope just wither away and then Theo Robinson scoring that last yeah. minute goal as well it just you know leave them alone guys they, you yeah. know, they've been in the football league since like the stone age you know it's, it's, it was really, yeah I know what you mean it was really really tough to see I mean you know I, I slept at night don't get me wrong yeah. but but it was like it, it was like watching it, it just wasn't fun to watch their misery so to speak right. but you know many a team have have, uh, have enjoyed the, the misery of Swindon Town so I, met, I guess yeah. I should just uh, get over that okay yeah, so exactly season ends this is where you know i guess that you want to kick on at this stage right mm, yeah absolutely so i went back home after the season ended last year um and i was working with, with one of the guys i used to work with at victory um three four times a week trying to just like get get into really good shape for pre-season i came back flying for pre-season um i was i was one of the i was one of the fittest um during the runs and stuff like that i was feeling as fit and, and as healthy and as strong as i'd ever been um and i started the kind of first three pre-season games um and did did quite well in them um and then obviously went out to Lamanga for the training camp and uh on the second day we were just doing like some stride outs after the warm-up and bang there goes my hamstring <laughs> so it wasn't ideal no and is that ultimately been the problem with with the season game time wise for you yeah um, I'd say so. Obviously, I don't want to kind of make make any excuses um, for, as such. And I think, um, like, obviously, there's there has been a couple opportunities for me. But I mean, the managers basically said to me that I was fine in preseason. I was very much in his plans. Like he's even said to me, look at look at the the, the lineups that you were kind of in company with. That like you were starting. You were going to be you're going to be very much in and around it. And then kind of getting injured at such a critical time. Um, he, we obviously brought in some some fantastic centre midfielders in Jordan and and Anthony and pretty much everyone in our centre midfielders played League One Championship, League Two for two three hundred games. Um, so uh, it was obviously going to be hard, regardless with, with without the injury to kind of get myself in there. But I think the injury set me back so much because I was out for it was it was a really bad strain um, tear. I was like a 13, 14 centimetre tear. So I was out for about eight to ten weeks before I could come back and kind of go at a hundred percent. So um, I, I do think that that kind of killed me in a way. Um, but the, the, the coaches were, were were good to me in terms of the fact they told me to keep working. And even now, um, I've been in contact with the manager, and he's told me that kind of since since the turn of the year, he's been really really impressed with how I've been training, um, and that there will be opportunities for me next season. So obviously that's that's really positive for me and kind of. That's a big motivator in terms of trying to keep fit and go back in in pre-season and just smash it. Do you get like like flashbacks to the last opportunity, big opportunity you had with with victory, and then the illness, and then you, you're in amongst it, going away on pre-season, and then you get another injury, and it's just history repeating, just a different kind of injury. Does, does is that on your mind at that stage, or do you just have to yeah. get on with it? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I did it for when I first did it, and I got the results back, and, and the physio told me it was going to be looking at about eight weeks. I was absolutely devastated. Um, obviously, there's nothing worse than being than being injured at any time of the season, but especially when you're kind of looking to make a breakthrough and you are doing well um, as a young player, especially when when obviously like, you're still trying to earn the trust of your teammates and earn the trust of the coaching staff. Um, which I felt like I was I was so close to doing, and then to get injured like that for such a long period of time, and not 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 be forgotten about, but kind of the, them have to build the team without you in their plans at all because you're going to miss all of preseason the first month of the season, which is really hard to take. But um, thankfully, um, I've got another year on my contract, so if anything, it's made me it's made me even more determined to kind of uh, to kind of put things right in a way for me because um, I do I do feel like I I'm. I have the ability to kind of be in the first team. Obviously, it's important to believe in yourself, but um, uh, yeah, that's something that I'm really, really looking forward to to putting right this season and trying to get myself in the team. Yeah, I've, I've got to say, uh, when I was sort of looking into this episode and prepping, I sort of got the impression that maybe that you might leave during the end of the season, although I was aware that you had another year left because there was rumours of Waterford's going out to them and you turned them mm. down is that is that right yeah um so I, I think it was around about christmas time january time um i i'd spoken to the manager and he basically said that i needed to get match fit i need to play games and i i, I, I went on loan to hungerford um and did, did did quite well there and i came back and i came on against plymouth and came on against newport and i thought i did okay um and then he kind of said to me that he still thought i was quite far off it um, so we kind of differ our opinions there, but I obviously accepted his word as, as the manager, and I just tried to put my head down and work as hard as I could. Um, but they were definitely, they, I, I don't think I've ever really considered leaving because I, I don't really want to give up as such. Um, that's not really in my in my nature to kind of just throw the towel in. But um, I think there there were definitely times during the season where where I have found it tough to kind of um, be on, be kind of be like. Um, get myself back into the back into the manager's plans, but I think towards the end of the season um, we we're kind of on the same page in terms of what he wanted from me and and what I felt was 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 good and what he felt was good. Um, and now obviously I'm just really looking forward to, to putting my best foot forward next season. And and at the end of the day I'll just do everything I can um, to try and get into his plans. And if that's if that's not to be, then it's not to be. But um, I'm confident that that, I'm, that I will be able to kind of. Um, have a better season this season. So better season next season than I have this. Yeah, I mean, I was at that Newport game, and I remember Richie Wellens wasn't happy with anybody after that, especially the youngs. I think he said, "When I'm not managing a nursery or whatever," yeah. when when he was it was something along those lines. But I yeah. remember you coming on, and I, I'm pretty sure you were getting stuck in. Yeah, no, no I think obviously he's he's he is hard on us, um, but I, I I think that's a bad thing at all. I think the standards that he tries to set within the group. That's why we've been so successful this year because he holds such high standards of himself and of everyone else that um, that kind of it drives other people to to kind of re- drag themselves up to his level. And if you can't if you can't do that, then you're going to be left behind. So I can't remember if you did a tackle or you were involved in some handbags, but I definitely remember <laughs> you were involved in something during that game because the game was dead and you came on yeah. and, and got 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 stuck in, and I was like, go on. 
Yeah, I remember that. I think I think it was Jerry. I think it was Jerry who was the initiator. Not, not really that much of a surprise, but I remember I thought I might as well get involved, like get a bit of action, get myself a bit muddy, look like I've done something. So <laughs> get windmilling, get windmilling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, like you mentioned, you had a little bit of time um, with Hungerford Town with ex Swindon uh, player Ian Herring. He asks a question. Actually, he says, "Who's the best non-league manager on the planet?" <laughs> yeah, it would have to be him to do that. I only worked with one, but yeah, I <laughs> don't have much to choose from. But no, nah, he's he, he was great with me because um, I kind of went there at a time when my confidence was was quite low. Um, obviously, with the injury and then kind of not being not not being able to get back into the manager's plans. Um, but he kind of did help me not rediscover my love for football because it, it was never got to that extent. But kind of just enjoy my my playing again. He just gave me the freedom and just said, "I know you're a good player. Go out there and." Go out there and show me, um, and I, I went there on two loan spells and enjoyed both of them massively. So that's he's, he's a credit to to the club and and to himself as, as to how much he helped me kind of this season. Yeah, and unfortunately he he's now left Hungerford, which seemed incredibly harsh. Yeah, um, I mean I've, I've spoken to him about it. Obviously, it's not my, really my place to go into the the details of it, but I'm sure he'll. He'll definitely kick on with his career because he's a really, really good manager and really good guy. And I hope that someone higher up the football pyramid gives him an opportunity because he absolutely deserves it. Yeah, I'm really, I'm interested in in loan spells, and I've talked about it constantly on this podcast. The problem with doing two uh, interviews a week is I cover some of the same old ground, but the, luckily for me, you guys all have different answers, and I mm. always, I personally find loan spells for for fringe and young pros a real roll of the dice because if it doesn't work out like some of it it's happened to some of your teammates right now if you go out on loan to a non-league club and it doesn't go well you haven't you know got the faith back of of your ability or you haven't played well then it really does put your pro career into a lot of doubt and it did seem to really work for you in that sense. And, and it probably helped that there were a couple of players around you who were also Swindon players. Cause I think Will Henry's there at that time uh, yeah. for a bit of it anyway. And Ralph Graham's there as well. So that, that does that help? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, obviously when I went to Hungerford initially, I did, I didn't really know anyone that was there. Um, but uh, from the first session, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, obviously the standards, not what I, what I wanted to be playing at. Um, but I, I just threw myself into it, and we did we did quite well when I was there. I think obviously they they struggled a bit this season, but I think when I was there we we won I think about half the games that I played in. So I was obviously buzzing. I kind of going and make a difference, um, and kind of feel like I was a, I was a valued and important member of the team while I was there. Um, and I would I would like to go on loan at high level, but I was kind of there were clubs that were showing interest in me from the national league kind of early January, but that was. That was also when I was getting myself back into the Swindon, the Swindon plans and sitting on the bench and coming on a couple of times. So that was uh, obviously tough to kind of not not say no to them, but kind of say, listen, I, I do want to try and get myself back in the Swindon team. And then unfortunately, when the the boys came back from injury and, and the gaffer had, had decided on what, what team he wanted to use going forward, they'd, they'd already moved on and picked up other players. So... Um, that was a little bit disappointing, but then obviously I was, I was thankful that I was able to go back out to Hungerford for the last part of the season and play a couple of games. Where does the National League South sit as far as standards are concerned in comparison to the, the other leagues that you've played in? It'd probably be quite similar to the NPL back home. Um, I'd say probably that th- there's a few clubs that that 
would do very well in the NPL. And then I think there's clubs like Hungerford, with all due respect, that would probably struggle a bit. But I think the, the, the disparity of how much money there is in that league is is uh, quite big. There's obviously big clubs that, are, that, that there's three or four clubs that are full time. Um, so and then you have clubs like Hungerford, which are really working on a working on a tiny budget two two nights a week. Um, so I, it, there, there, there's definitely some clubs in there that that are really strong and really big and will probably work their way into the football league eventually. If you look at the clubs like Wildstone and, and clubs like that, I'm sure yeah. if they continue to grow as the way they have so far, they'll, it won't be long before they're knocking on the door of the football league. Go back to Swindon and this squad that we've we've had, where we're all sat here nervously at the moment. One trying to you know wanting to find out whether we're going up as champions, so there's a trophy and medals and things like that. And of mm-hmm. course, there's the the lingering doubts of what happens next because of coronavirus, because of the court cases and things like that. But one thing that I've done, one thing that is clear from talking to all the teammates that I've talked to so far is this is a very special group. Is it exactly the same for the fringe and the, 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 uh, the first year pros and things like that? Is there like a, a divide where you aren't quite in the inner circle or is it very much you're all in? No, it's de- definitely all in. Um, I think obviously whenever any kind of social activities are going on, whenever the boys going out for a meal or, or anything like that, uh, everyone's invited. So the, the older pros are really good at making sure everyone kind of feels included. And I, I, I personally get on well with actually everyone in the squad. Um, and there's there's no one, that I, I don't think there's anyone really that doesn't kind of, would, wouldn't be happy going out with any other boys. So no, it's, it's, it's a really, really good group. Um, like definitely one of, the, one of the best that I've been a part of. We've got to talk about esports now. Because yeah. the majority of the blooming questions that I got mm-hmm. was in relation to the esports, and you know, coronavirus emerged, and as a result of it, so did you. You came into prominence yeah. for for the first stages of this, and I th- we all thought that this is going to carry us through the 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 pandemic. But of course, it's gone on and on and on and on. Mm. Maybe we were all naive, but in the early stages, you know, football organizations and things like that were coming up with a bunch of esports ideas and you were involved in two now yeah. i mean i i don't play any i'm not i'm not a gamer i i haven't played anything i retired from football manager in 2007 because i wanted to you know keep my relationship with my now wife i used to take a, yeah. i used to take a week off work just to play that game in in, 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 my, in my late teens yeah. um i haven't played a console game since goldeneye and my gcse suffered as a result of that because that's the sort of guy i am um <laughs> completed it on double o agent 4 a.m just before my maths exam no regrets um is it is it the premier thing for for footballers to do in their downtime, like the gaming thing, or is it just something that you're just into? No, absolutely. I mean, pretty much whenever I'm on, there's there's a bunch of other boys from either Swindon or other clubs that I've been at, um, boys that I grew up with that that are playing. Um, we kind of it's obviously it's obviously fun to kind of play the game, but also from a social aspect, especially because a lot of us do live away from our families and just to kind of be in being a being a party chat with them, just kind of talking, socialising, like even if you're not actually playing, if you're making dinner or anything like that, I'm usually in a kind of party call um, with, with, with 
some boys that I've that I've known um, or that I play with now. So I think it's it's obviously really good um, to kind of just take your mind off things. Um, and I know there's obviously some questions about whether it's healthy um, or anything like that. But I think as long as you're kind of making sure that you're still getting enough sleep, you're eating right, you're you're, um, you're, you're drinking water when you're playing, you're you know kind of becoming obsessed obsessed over it. Then I I definitely don't think it's a bad thing at all. Yeah, it's really it's really weird because you know what football fans could be like and I don't even think these were necessarily Swindon fans but you did get sort of a few digs that suggested that you shouldn't be playing on computer mm. games because you're not playing you know enough professionally but of course yeah. you're injured or you just can't get into the team because you've got like Anthony Grant and Danny Rose and Michael yeah. Doughty and people that in, like that in front of you and does that annoy you because all you're doing is playing a game and you're sort of sharing you know, with with a community of people. I mean, it's never been as popular mm. and accessible than it has been now. And then you get those sort of digs, and it's it's not really on, is it? No, I mean, I do understand where people come from. Obviously, like like they they do probably there there is a misconception, and I think even from from some people at, at the club, perhaps um, kind of there is a misconception that I was kind of putting this above my football career, which obviously sounds kind of a bit a bit ridiculous to me when um when people were, were kind of saying that um but like for me um it's kind of would they prefer me to be sitting here like relaxing playing playstation or is it like go down the pub kind of gambling and drinking so um i think that, that that's kind of the main argument i make and to, like i was i was and I think anyone that's that worked with me this year can kind of attest to the fact that I was one of the last ones to leave every single day. It's not like I was kind of skipping training or calling sick to stay up all night and play play video games with my mates. Um, uh, but obviously, when when I am at home and when it is my downtime, especially with not having much family and uh, no no real friends outside of football, I think it was something that kind of helped me um, and and has helped me and will continue to help me just kind of take my mind off things and um, just just give me something else that I, that I do enjoy. Yeah, let's blast through some questions here. So Chris Foote says, do you think being a professional footballer helps you being a better FIFA player? Um, I, th- I do think so to an extent, just in terms of the, like, the fact that I have a good footballing brain. But I mean, there's <laughs> there's a few boys at the club that I think, um, I don't think that that's universal for all footballers because there's a few boys that, that I've played at the club that, that really, their FIFA skills definitely don't match their football skills at all. <laughs> Yeah, you had those two tournaments. The first one felt like a bit of a stitch up because the first, yeah. the first club, the first esports player that you were up against, um, what you were supposed to play was a pro, and then the Nant guy came in, and you, yeah. I, I felt sorry for you because you were bigged up by a lot of Swindon fans mm-hmm. who were into this, going, "This guy is good," and then you get these draws, and you're just like, "Guys." This is these these people get paid to play, you know. It's it's going to be tough. And I watched the the the, the first game with the non. Did I see the miss in the ninetieth minute? It was a penalty yeah, miss, wasn't Jerry. it? No, oh, Jer- Jerry. No, Jerry missed it. Jerry wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Jerry missed a sitter. Hey, I got stuck <laughs> into him about that. But now at the end of the day, like that that guy's won the World Cup three times and uh, the FIFA <laughs> World Cup, so it's basically equivalent to me going up against Lionel Messi in real life football. Um, but yeah, no, obviously, obviously, it was it was all for. All for a good cause at the end of the day, both the tournaments. So I was more than happy to compete in them both. Um, and that was it was obviously nice to kind of engage with with some of the fans. Um, and everyone was very supportive and, and great over it. So yeah, uh, I, was, I was really happy. And the second one, you get to the semi final, and mm. that was particular. I found that funny because 
again, you know, I'm not the demographic for this, but man, the messages on your feeds, it's getting yeah. quite, it gets quite spicy, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It can get, <laughs> can get quite heated. Um, it's, it's kind of no different than football. People really get quite into it, I think, especially with football not being there as well. Um, I think that's what a lot of people are kind of channeling their, their energy and their frustration about football not being there, getting a bit of white line fever from watching me play a video game. But um, no, I didn't mind it. I know it was all mostly in good jest and good fun. So no, that, that was obviously a nice experience to be able to get a little bit further. And then the guy that ended up playing the semi-final is basically a professional FIFA player, um, the level that he plays at. So I, I did, I did all right, and then he obviously won in the final. So I wasn't really too fussed about it, and ended up raising great. They ended up raising loads of money for charity, um, and I, I managed to contribute a bit to that. So no, I was, I was, I was buzzing with how that went. Lovely stuff. STFC Jenko says, "Who's the best FIFA player in the current squad apart from yourself?" <sighs> I'm gonna have to go with Twani because he'd kill me if I said anyone else. But uh, Zeki, Zeki's not bad. Um, Lloyd is gross, not bad. Uh, and Tyler Reed's all right as well, but I'd say Tiny probably just about pips him. Jordan Lydon, Jordan Lydon's not not awful either. <laughs> oh, I mean, fellow Aussie as well. Yeah, I have to, I have to stick up for him, don't I? <laughs> exactly. Um, here we go, Tyler. I've got to ask it. So Tyler says, "Who's your best mod?" <laughs> it used to be Tyler when he when he actually came in the streams, but I'm not too sure anymore. And so these are people that look after. Your streams, yeah, they kind of then? control. Yeah, they kind of control the Switch chat. Just if people were obviously when I'm playing, I try and look at the chat as much as I can. But if I'm if I'm not looking at it, then they can kind of just time people out or delete messages if people are being abusive or just crush them line a little bit. So I'm I'm appreciative of the people who help me out with that. Sure. And that, Quincy asked a question. I have no idea. So it's, he asks if Swindon sign either Chris or Con who would you rather no idea you're going to have to give me context so um, Chris is kind of my childhood best friend he uh, plays in plays in Germany now for Modern Gladbach um, under 23s so we came together from about 12 or 13 we were in the same teams um, played together at Victory made our debut in the same game actually against Brisbane um, and then he moved over to Gladbach when I moved to Birmingham so he's uh, I'm pretty much on the phone with him on FaceTime with him every single day because he lives alone as well um, and then Con's, uh, Con's another guy that I know kind of through the through the youth national teams um, he plays for Everton um, so yeah us three us three are like peas in a pod pretty much on the phone to each other every single day so I'd take I'd take either of them to be honest with you I, I wouldn't mind too much so moving on from esports now uh, Sidon or Sidon Toon asks what's the biggest difference between English football and Australian football which we'll say is soccer um, I think it'll probably be the pace of the game I think a large factor in Australia as well because because it's played in the summer like you're playing most of your games in 30 35 degree heat um, so I think the pace of the game's slower um, over there. I suppose to here it's it's so fast the whole time, um, and it's very physical and aggressive. But um, yeah, I'd say I'd say those are, those are kind of the main differences that I've that I've found so far. And then I think obviously the higher you go up the league, there's obviously massive differences in standard between the A League and and the Premier League. Um, but I think in terms of the standards I've played, I'd say the A League's quite similar to League Two. Here we go then. Uh, what's your favourite cheese? Favourite cheese? Mm-hmm. Feta. There we go. And Alexander Hughes asks, do you prefer an Aussie barbecue or a British one? It's got to be an Aussie barbecue. It's got to be. I've obviously grown up kind of my majority of my childhood over there. 
Um, we're on the barbecue pretty much every Saturday, and it's a bit of a thing that took a while to get used to. And I think my parents are still are still not pretty used to it at all. Is having hot Christmases. Um, so far, they're having roast dinners and putting the everyone around the fire. It's down the beach and by the barbecue. What's what's the uh, what's the major thing we're missing with our British barbecue compared to other than the weather? I think seafood. There's there's a lot more of a seafood base in Australia, kind of prawns and and scallops and everything, everything sea based. Yeah, can I ask what's your favourite drum and bass song? Oh, I do not like drum and bass at all, and he knows that. So there you go. But we need to talk about 1973 by James Blunt because I hear that a lot when I, when I listen to your feeds. Yeah, um, I like James Blunt. He's good. Uh, my mum's my mum's really big into him, so I I um, watch that. I sorry, I listened to him a lot when I was growing up. So I think he's kind of one of one of the older older heads in the music industry that that I listen to a fair bit. <laughs> uh, question here who would be in your Swindon Town Fiverside team <sighs> wow that is hard um, I think I'd probably have to go Bender in goal go Zeki uh, Granty have to put myself in there um, and then I think I'd go Izzy because he's got such good feet um, and then probably Doyle just to get on the end of everything up front goal hang <laughs> how weird is it at the moment the fact that you're all away and you know there's a there's a good few teammates that are going now because obviously their loan spells are going to come to an mm. end how, how bittersweet is that for you guys yeah it's a bit surreal um i saw Doyle's wife post on something on twitter saying that he's just won the league and he's at home coloring in books with his with his, with his, with his seven-year-old kids um but yeah i think it's obviously yeah, it is nice to win the league but in a way it's it's kind of hasn't really set in yet obviously it hasn't been confirmed but if it is confirmed then it will be kind of weird and different different to anything that obviously i haven't experienced that much but i'm sure for the older boys it'll be it'll be really different to anything they've ever experienced um in terms of finishing the season but yeah it, it will be it will be hard to say goodbye to the lads who've been on loan um, and obviously boys are out of contract and especially with Corona there's so much uncertainty about whether people will be offered new deals whether they'll be on the money that they want to be on um, so I think I'm grateful obviously that I have another year um, but they're, they're, it, it is definitely it's definitely difficult at the minute Yeah and, and thinking about this in purely football in terms these events could really benefit your career because you've got a year left and we don't know what budgets are going to be like and we don't know if there's going to be a new salary cap and things like that. It could be that players like yourself and Tyler Curran could find themselves more within the first-team picture because of the restrictions that we face whenever the new season starts. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's kind of the hope for me um, that I'm able to get myself into the first team next year and kind of cement my place in there um obviously it's 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 never nice to see other boys that that you like and that you're close with kind of a bit worried about their future and uncertain about their future but i'm sure the gaffer and and everyone else at swindon will kind of do everything else so he's 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 very much being vocal in the fact that he wants to try and keep the group together so i'm sure they'll be doing everything they can to make that a, a reality and the final question is from Martin Peters. He asks, there is one Tim Tam left in the pack. It's a straight brawl between you and a drop bear. Winner takes all. Who gets the last Tim Tam? Yes, I, I do like Tim Tams, but um, I don't like them that much. So it's probably, <laughs> probably going to go to the bear. They're just a softer penguin bar, aren't they? Um, 
Yeah, oh, I don't know. They're nicer than penguins. They are, nice they are nicer, penguins, but yeah, penguins yeah, yeah, are yeah, harsher. Yeah, the texture is kind of similar. Yeah, the texture is kind of similar. Yeah, and yeah, they're a little bit more creamy and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I have had one, and people go on and on about them. But there we go, Cameron. That was really, really enjoyable. Thank you very much for taking part, and I hope the rest of lockdown you get to Australia and have have a good time off. No, no problems. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford, and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon! It's a grand old team to play for, and it's a grand old team to see. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.